0: Welcome to Art Nature Science on the Binnaburra Cultural Landscape, the podcast that tells the story of the mountain's natural wonder through art making and exploring the creative spirit and celebrates the history and heritage of this magnificent world heritage area. My name's Michelle Walker and I'm joined today by three guests, Tim Atherton, young Case van der Haap and Lena van Swinderen. Tim is a long time guest and shareholder and was the co founder of Friends of Binneboro in 1984 and is now the chair of the recently formed Binneboro Foundation. Young Case has been active in Friends of Binneboro since 2004, almost all of those years in some capacity on the committee. Channeling his enthusiasm of a significant group of volunteers to maintain 30 hectares of Binneboro nature surrounded by the National Park are his main focus. Lena is a PhD student in conservation science at the University of Queensland and she and her family joined Friends of Binneborough when she was about 10 years old. What a wonderful pedigree you each have so thank you for letting me introduce you. Welcome, welcome.
1: Thanks Michelle, nice to be here.
0: Hi Michelle, thanks for having us. This first question is about Friends of Binneborough as a group of volunteers. I know you share the love of nature and have been doing that for nearly 40 years Tell us some more about what you do within the group.
2: Well, if you look at Friends of Benebar, and let's call them FOBs, because everybody talks about FOBs, FOBs basically had two main things. One was supporting Benebar Lodge as a little company, and the second part is really making sure that that 30 hectares of beautiful nature that surrounds us gets the proper attention. And of course, after the fire, the focus has been changed a little bit. The fire... Determined that we needed to spend a lot more time uh, looking after the, after the landscape. So in the last few years, that has been the main focus of FOBs.
0: Lena, what's been your experience? Yeah, well, I I joined FOBs very
3: young as a as a junior FOB. Actually, through a case, his uh, son Peter was in my um, year four class, and we became friends. Me and my family, we've sort of uh, stuck with it through the years, and it. It's been a really nice experience. Uh, you get to learn a lot about um, various different plants and uh, just how maintaining uh, an organization like Binabara works, which I personally find very interesting.
0: Has it been an influence for you in terms of your career path and finding yourself doing a PhD in conservation science?
3: Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely has. It, it just means from a young age, I've I've sort of been uh, exposed to nature, exposed to people who care about nature, and. Uh, and people who are very good at uh, maintaining the ecosystems, which is, you know, it's a it's a wonderful thing. I recommend people bring their children to Binnaburra. I think it's good at producing conservation scientists.
0: <laughs> I have to say, yes, it is. Tim, you were a part of OBS at the very early stage. What's your reflection on the last 40 years of the organisation?
1: We came up with the idea of Friends of Binnaburra to assist uh, the Lodge with whatever projects they felt were necessary. And uh, we approached the general manager at the time, who was a little bit uh, wary. He was a bit worried about uh, interfering guests and shareholders. But ultimately, we developed a good symbiotic relationship with the lodge. In those early days, we were doing a lot of clearing of uh, tracks on the Binnaburra property. Of course, now FOBS has morphed into assisting more with land regeneration, which is a a great project, and it's still a very social thing. I mean, fun of the weekend is getting together socially on the Saturday night and Sunday morning. But uh, on the Saturday, uh, there are some very significant projects being done to assist the Lodge, as well as the land region. There's there people working in library, categorising the books, uh, minor works around the Lodge and things like that. So the, the the fear of interference is gone, and the the cooperation between the Lodge and, and FOBs is, is first class. It really is.
0: I understand that bush regeneration is a key focus for some of the work that FOB's volunteers do. What have been some of the things that have come out? And I know after the fire there's been a change in focus perhaps and a change in the areas that you've been working. Talk to me about the bush regen work that you've been doing.
2: Yeah, because it's really really a very key activity at the moment, for both for the area and for us. Well, of course, what the fire did is it it nibbled at the edges of all all you know the the whole property, and here and there it destroyed quite a lot. But there's other areas where the fire, yes, it was there, but the destruction is limited. So the big thing that we could do after the fire is we got some small grants, and we engaged Kirby Ralston. and Kirby has twenty years plus of experience of bush regeneration on the mountain, and with his experience and. He had also been working as a ranger in the national park, so with his connection with the national park and his local experience, he could really help us lifting it to a better level. Um, so the first thing that he did was help us on analyse, you know, what, what do you actually find after a fire? You know, Some areas still have structure, which means that there is a huge resilience, it just takes time and you shouldn't interfere. And destroy that resilience by you know walking through and flattening everything and compacting everything. Um, and in those areas where there is structure, is there still anything that needs a helping hand, or do you leave that part to itself? And then other areas, for instance, where the where the canopy was totally destroyed, and you know the sun gets straight on the on the soil, all of a sudden everything warms up. It's being hugely heated by the fire. What happens then is a completely different story and those sort of areas need a bit more of a helping hand for for longer so with his support we could actually understand the type of things that we we had to do Uh, i also got some grants to get lots and lots of uh, local native plants and again because of his understanding we can make sure we put the right plants in not something that does well somewhere in the scenic rim at 200 meters altitude but something that really grows In this location because one of the big lessons for bush regeneration is there is not a one rule fits all solution to regeneration there is soil there is the altitude there is the exposure to to sun you know the whole everything together makes a a unique location and you really have to learn how to work with with your location and I think we've been you know, reasonably successful in that. And, um, and we see that, you know, some of the plantings that we did by now about two and a half years ago and um, really start to look very healthy. And you also learn, of course, that one spot where you plant and you think, oh, you know, that needs to be followed up by watering. And then it turns out that it's already waterlogged. Um, and one other thing I should mention is that Binnaburra as as an organization has also made a change because of course, the nature part of the whole area is, is hugely important to their business. And Luana's general manager, has now appointed Angus as the landscape supervisor in the staff group. So we really have somebody to work with, to talk with, um, who, who is developing an understanding of the whole, whole area. So the cooperation with staff through him and his responsibility in terms of looking after the landscape is a great thing for FOBS because it means that our work gets proper follow up and we look at longer term things, not only as an isolated group, but also together with the the staff. So that is together I think is a good recipe for generating something that is sustainable for the future. Um, We'll still make mistakes. There are still areas with here and there, some some weeds and stuff like that. Um, Lantana hasn't completely disappeared from the premises, but we're, we're doing the right thing and you can see great results.
0: And that's an interesting point that you make about there's no single recipe, you have to learn as you go. What has been the approach to monitoring and evaluating works have been done and how it's progressing?
2: Well, of course, in terms of planting, it's a matter of follow up and, and making sure that it does get watered if necessary. And at that stage, you then need to leave it to nature to do and to make sure that the things that will develop will actually have a chance to do so. And one of the big things that you can see in that regeneration is that the first things that happen is that whole pioneer vegetation is developing. So there's lots of plants that may look very weedy on the, on the surface. But if you actually see what happens is they have big leaves, they create a bit of shade, they make sure that there's some, um, some moisture in the soil. And underneath those pioneer plants, things like red cedars and other rainforest species then actually germinate and start to develop. So at the moment, it still looks somewhat weedy, be it in large part due to pioneer plants. And slowly but surely, that will be overtaken by the, the next phase of forest development. So those are things that we all need to learn and I think also needs to be explained to visitors because a lot of people feel that, oh, it's all weeds. Well, luckily, it's not all weeds. Um, Yes, we can point you to some spots where it's the case, but it's certainly not the case everywhere.
0: And those pioneer plants are characteristic for also growing so quickly, aren't they, to get that shade up and happening. So I guess in that way, they can look a bit weedy Lena, what about you and your experience of being involved in these Bush Regeneration Weekends? What have you learned and what have you witnessed as part of FOBS?
3: Well, I really enjoy these weekends because plants especially are just, they're not my specialty. I don't really actually know that much about plants. So it's really interesting hearing what uh, people like Kirby have to say on these weekends. And uh, it's given me a, a, a lot of respect for people who do Bush Regeneration on the regular, I think. Recently, we were dealing with a uh, Madeira vine. I had no idea I'm getting rid of this vine. You know, it's like bomb disposal. Uh, you have to be really careful. You don't lose um, leaves and nodules. And I, I actually didn't know that there were weeds that were that easily spread. And it, it's uh, been a sort of an interesting fact to carry around and uh, tell people when I'm back from Binnaburra. Yeah, it's, a, it's just
0: been really interesting. It's quite incredible, isn't it, when you get up close and personal with some of the invasive weed species in a bush area and in a regeneration project, just how incredibly tenacious they can be, and you come to understand, I think, through bush regen how amazing those plants are at propagating themselves across the landscape. Back in the day when I was a conservation person, I did a lot of work in Madeira vine, and that was quite challenging just how easy it is to allow it to keep going at a great rate of knots. It's a good learning for us all.
2: I wanted to add one thing because of course we talk a lot about an um, incursion of, of exotic weeds and stuff like that and the fire has obviously given some some opportunity for that and it has happened here and there but what has also happened is that we have actually found some things that are pretty rare and endangered. I think the little crown on that work there is a, a, a tiny plant that we we first saw in one of the areas uh, near the old driveway and we thought yeah, you know, it looks a bit weedy but nobody recognized it even Kirby didn't recognize it and we thought mm, it's maybe a weed maybe it's not and I took a specimen to Queensland herbarium here in Brisbane and um, so I dropped it off and I received an email and said, oh, this is actually a native plant, and it's very unusual to find that, and we haven't got it in our collection. Can you do an official collection? <laughs> so they sent me the forms, you know, when I went back the next week, uh, I picked up the right pieces of the plant, took the pictures, did the exact thing about the, uh, the location... And now that little plant is in the Queensland Herbarium Collection with Brineborough as its founding place. We never realized that before the fire. Maybe it was there, but we, we certainly didn't know. And, um, you know, those sort of little little gems are, are a beautiful thing, you know, when you do this whole work. And sometimes it's that difficult to see the big picture and you have, have these little gems that is really highly motivating for this type of work.
0: It's a great story and an unexpected gift, isn't it, from the fire that you could have that finding and then it become part of the scientific knowledge base for Queensland. Yeah. Tim, was there something you wanted to jump in and add?
1: No, I was just uh, wondering whether it was named after the fobs or did it already have a bot- botanical name allocated at the Yankees?
2: No, it had a botanical name. It just was right. not in, in the collection. So it has, still has... The original okay. name and has not been changed. And Athetonia is not yet on the horizon.
0: It's not Eye. What a shame. Eye.
2: That's what I was thinking. The Phobia or something like that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. So I would love to hear a bit more about the Binabara Foundation. Tim, would you like to talk us yes. through? It's recently well, been formed. <laughs> tell us about what its role is.
1: Well, has always had a very long history of weeks where people would go up and go to art workshops, photography schools. I mean, I attended several myself. And the relationship between the, those programs and nature was a very close connection. So, generally speaking, the art schools would go out and paint the natural landscape or take photographs of the natural bush. So, the foundation was set up to run educational, scientific, and cultural programs at the lodge obviously in association with the lodge's general guest activities, but attract funding for, for specialist programs under those categories. One of the things I'm very enthusiastic about is developing a relationship between the lodge and the First Nations history of the park. And we do have a, an, an Aboriginal elder on our board, Uncle Ted. Uh, he's very well respected in southeast Queensland, Northern New South Wales. And we are hoping to do a lot of research into the Indigenous history of the area, particularly Gunara. It's not Lamington anymore. It is Lamington, but it's also known by its Indigenous name. And do a lot of work in relation to history, the storytelling, which is very critical to the history of Indigenous occupation in, the, in that area. So that's what we're having to do. Very soon, we're going to open the Foundation's membership, and we're hoping to get people signed up for a very nominal fee as members of the Foundation, who are like-minded, would like to uh, see those sorts of programs run. Last year, we ran an artist in residence program uh, at the Lodge, which was very successful, with Renata Buziak, and we are looking at continuing that program in association with the activities at the Lodge. So we just appointed a a new director, Carleen Grimmer, who's very well-respected in the arts uh, area, and she's going to take over management of our artist in residence program, There are a number of proposals in our books even now for what we might do this year. So Carlene's going to sort through those and come back to the board with a recommendation.
0: That sounds exciting because I know that a number of the listeners will be interested in the arts program, either as participants or artists themselves that might want to be involved.
1: Yes, because uh, remarkably when uh, Renata started her Artists in Residence program, she very quickly accumulated a, a dedicated bunch of volunteers, about 30 or so, are very enthusiastic about the Artisan Residence Program being run at Binnaburra. And those volunteers are keen to carry on their volunteering and assisting the program into the future.
0: And you're also setting up a new history and heritage working group as part of the foundation. Talk to us a bit about that, Tim.
1: Yes, well, this is a fantastic initiative. Unfortunately, a lot of Binnaburra's historical records were lost in the fire. And between Steve Noakes, our Binnaburra's chairman, and myself, came up the idea of setting up a, a working party for history and heritage history obviously of the lodge but not just the lodge it's also about the the park area and the heritage uh, is not just the heritage of the park it's also the, the indigenous occupation so we've now already got about 14 or 15 people who've uh, put their hands up to work with the working group to assist with researching cataloging our history and in fact uh, we had a donation on the weekend of Bernard O'Reilly's book about Green Mountains, which is going to go into our reserve section of our library, a signed version I might say, signed by Bernard himself. Very special. Slowly but surely, that reference library that we did have that was lost tragically uh, will will get rebuilt by this group.
0: I know you probably share great memories of that Binibora Library of sitting up there in the that top level and with a book and supposed to be reading, but actually watching birds and the landscape out of the library window. I think that sounds very interesting. And before we finish off, we'll let people know how to get involved and how to put up their hand for things. But just before we do, I want to throw a few rapid-fire questions at you. This is a bit of fun. And I would love each of you to have an answer. And the answer can be really very quick. First thing that comes to mind, if you had to sum up Binabara in one photo, what would it be? Tim, you're the photographer.
1: Um, I'm a great fan of Tullawalaw. Uh, particularly when you go up there when it's wet and the cloud has descended and you get up in amongst those beautiful Antarctic beaches with all the lichens and the the mosses.
0: Fabulous. young Case?
2: Well, for me, arriving at Benaburra and looking at the beautiful old cottage sitting there in their fantastic Mm -hmm. green, that's the start of Benaburra.
0: Beautiful. Lena, how about you? What's your photograph in your
3: mind's eye? I think the view where the where the lodge used to be, especially um there's the stump there um overlooking the view where I think almost every time we've been there, my family and I've tried to pile as many people on there as possible <laughs> <laughs> which i wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily recommend for safety reasons, but um <laughs> it's it is what I picture when I think of Dineverro, and I think we have many
0: actual photos of that occurring <laughs> yeah, sounds wonderful and my last rapid fire question is what does art nature science mean to you i'm going to go around the other way lena art nature science that combination what comes to mind
3: hmm.
0: basically my job okay
3: <laughs> it's a it's it's my interests <laughs> i would say uh, they're they're all pretty interconnected i think if you have an appreciation for one you can you can sort of build on to the next beautiful
2: art nature and science is a hugely important element of what makes Binnabara and we need to make sure that in the new lodge and in the future it has a central element because that will attract people to the uniqueness of what it has to offer.
0: Mm. Beautiful. Tim?
2: I'm going to mix them up a little bit. Well,
1: nature is what Binibara is all about. Binibara is established to bring people closer to nature. Science is understanding the nature of our environment and the relationship uh, between humankind and and its environment. And art is an expression of that connection. So those three things come very nicely together in the program. Mm.
0: Thank you. I just wanted to ask, is there anything else you'd like to add from any of your experiences or the areas where you're working? Add an extra point before we wrap up today.
2: I would like to do that. Um, Because we've talked about all the the serious sides of of FOBs and doing all this great work. And Tim has already mentioned it briefly. But of course, a very important part of having a group of volunteers like this together and keeping it together is that we're also just having a good time. We enjoy being up there. We jointly put together a dinner every Saturday night. And it's always a big surprise and a fantastic experience to see how many beautiful things everybody brings up. And it has to be a big group of people who have who are having a good time to have this at the moment and to make sure that it survives in the future. Thanks to Joe Weir, originally, when we started Junior Forbes, I'm very proud to say that Forbes is one of those great volunteer organizations that actually have four generations coming at the same time. Wow. Uh, and I'm very conscious of the fact that a lot of volunteer organizations are slowly Getting on an average age footing that is not sustainable for the future, we are determined to make sure that FOBs is not one of them. Courage I think the we're youth. doing it right.
0: <laughs> I think so. That sounds like it, Lena. I'd love to hear some thoughts from you. I really wanted to
3: emphasize to anyone listening that the the youth are present in FOBs. There's a there's a bunch of us. There's a my siblings and also the various friends we drag along. So. Um,
0: come along. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Beautiful. That's a great segue. Thank you. How can people get in touch with FOBS? So anyone listening might be able to jump on.
2: Uh, You can easily find us on the Binnabarra website. There is a a tab and you can get onto there. I have an inquiry and the next morning I find that in the FOBS email, you know, the marketing department at FOBS at Binnabarra, does a great, uh, a great job making sure we don't lose any people there. We're happy to um, start the conversation and see if you want to join us.
0: And the foundation, Tim, what's the best contact details?
1: Well, likewise, through the Binnaburra website. We shouldn't rush us with applications for membership just now because we're not quite ready for it. But when the time comes, we'll certainly put out the word to uh, Binnaburra shareholders, Binnaburra guests. We get to have a very good guest database. and, and organisations like Bushwalking Queensland, uh, the National Natural History Association, other groups like that. So we'll get the word out there. The The objects and intentions of the foundation, uh, I think, will align with uh, a lot of people who are regular guests up there and regular visitors to park. Can I just say just about Binabar and FOBS? I went away, I was attracted to a job in Western Australia, and I was away from Queensland, my home state, between 1998 and 2007. But I was really worried about Fobs because I thought when I left, uh, Fobs was a, a fairly old, uh, established group of members. But everyone was getting one in age, and I thought it might die on the vine. But thanks to people like Yankees and like give Yankees and and Joe Weir credit for their initiative. They attracted younger people to come along. Junior Fobs is a great initiative, and it's as alive and as healthy as it's ever been. And there's a real vibe in the room on the Saturday night. Everyone's worked hard during the day. But on Saturday night, it is just a celebration of our hard work and what we're doing. It's a fabulous bunch of people to be with. And the interesting thing was, there were two or three members there on the weekend just gone who were there in the early days when we set FOB up. They're still with us. I think it's a testament to the longevity of of the Friends of Binnabar.
0: Sounds wonderful. and. Folks, if you're listening, as both Tim and Young Case said, you can find information on the Binnaborough website and also attached to this podcast, I'll have all the links. I so appreciate the three of you coming on and chatting to me. And Lena, I wish you super well in your PhD studies. How far along are you? Well, thanks very much, Michelle. I
3: started in October, so um, I have pretty much three years ahead of me, (laughs) unless they get it done early, which would be a a great blessing to everyone involved. (laughs) But I I really,
0: I really enjoy it. It's a, it's fantastic. Um, Yeah. We're going to look forward to hearing more from you, no doubt. So Tim, Yankees, Lena, thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate you coming on and having a chat about Friends of Binnaburra and the Binnaburra Foundation.
1: Thanks, Michelle. It's been a pleasure.
0: Yeah. Thanks very much, Michelle. The producers and artists on this podcast acknowledge the traditional owners of the Binnaburra area and Lamington National Park, the Yugambeh Language Group. We also thank Catherine Slingsby for the podcast theme music and excerpt from her piece, Sweet Dream.